This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition. For decades, family farmers have worked in solitude, far away from consumers, but that's about to change. The Corn Farmers Coalition wants to engage the public in a discussion to reaffirm farmers' commitment to safe, abundant, and affordable food. Through innovation, technology, and ingenuity, farmers are meeting our growing needs for food, fuel, and fiber. To learn more about how productivity and sustainability go hand in hand, go to www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Congressman Steve King, you're a fifth-term Republican from Northwest Iowa. Thank you for joining us for AgriPulse Open Mic. Thanks a lot for having me on, Ken. I appreciate it. Let's look forward. This week is going to be a most interesting one for the U.S. House of Representatives. What do you think the most likely path will be for the 2012 farm legislation? The most likely doesn't match up with my preferred path, Ken, as you might know. Uh, right now, it looks like the most likely path is a one-year extension of the existing farm bill coupled with some drought relief, and that pushed through the House with some Democrat votes probably um, well, four dozen or so on the promise that we would go to conference and uh, conference the Farm Bill Senate's House. And I think that technically that's not the best path we can follow. It uh, weakens the leverage of the House and it weakens the impact of all the work we did in committee to bring a bill that actually has some reforms to it. And so, but I think that's the most likely. What I have said is if you can only pass a one-year extension, Let's then take the House committee passed version of the bill and pass that for a one year with the drought relief in it. At least then when we sit down across the table with the Senate, we've got something that we can use uh, for talking points and for leverage. Otherwise, uh, the Senate version of the bill will be what will be discussed, and we'll just be working off of that. Anything we injected in the House, that will be very hard to get into the bill. When I'm looking at that, there's a level of urgency. Part of it is because... People are looking at going home for August. The members of Congress are, and their countryside looks like Iowa with regard to how dry it is. They want something they can go home with. I don't know that Iowans are that urgent about about drought relief because we know that we don't harvest until September or October, and I think the Congress can make a better decision on the breadth and the depth of this drought after Labor Day and perhaps have that be part of a final package that could go to the president. So I do see that urgency from a political standpoint, but from a practical standpoint, we have, we have not measured the depth of this drought at this point yet. Do you feel that the crop insurance program that has been set up and is in play this year is one that will be a safety net for corn and soybean farmers? You know, Ken, that's one of the things that I don't have anxiety about with regard to the farm bill, that uh, from the beginning, we knew walking into it that direct payments were going to be gone. We've known that for about a year. But I've said that my job is to protect the Corn Belt uh, from, from uh, an unbalanced uh, reduction in resources that goes into it. I think we've held that together pretty well. It's been tweaked a little bit in the House side, and that, uh, but on balance, we've held it together pretty well. And then the crop insurance piece of this thing, uh, I think, very well. In the next farm bill, whenever it is uh, finally discussed, do you think that there should be some way to require farmers to practice conservation? 
you know, the straightest answer to that, Ken, and I've spent my life in soil conservation, as many people know. I've built more terraces than anybody in Congress, I'm sure, and more miles of waterway, and the list goes on. I think that if the federal government is putting out dollars, uh, there's uh, it's appropriate for them to have a linkage uh, to require uh, to require soil conservation and uh, and conservation program participation. But I don't think it should be linked to crop insurance. That's not that. And uh, we're going to make sure that it isn't. Uh, but it, it needs to be linked in some way, and perhaps it's the income assurance program. We may see uh, an effort to uh, suspend or restate the renewable fuel standard. And I'm curious what you think of uh, the EPA reexamining the renewable fuel standard and what impact that could have on the ethanol industry. I will do everything I can to protect the RFS. Uh, we need to keep the renewable fuel standard in place. The uh, EPA does have that authority uh, to make those adjustments if the uh, feed supplies and the grain supplies uh, get to the point where they're critical. Right now, I'm discouraging that because we're watching the market adjust this. We've had five ethanol plants shut down in Nebraska. The Iowa plants are down to perhaps 80% of production, and that's, that information is probably a week old, maybe a little older than that. Uh, so I think the markets are adjusting, and uh, we've got some other pieces of place that can make this work. I don't think it, that it's an urgent decision at this point, but I do think it's something we want to pay attention to. We can't let these feedstocks get down to zero, and uh, we'll be able to see that coming enough. Uh, the balance between the livestock industry and the feed grain and ethanol industry is a delicate balance and the hardest problem that we've had to address here in Iowa. But at the same time, there's been a lot of prosperity that's been brought forward with livestock that's been enhanced by the ethanol industry uh, with the DDGs uh, added, to, added to rough feed, for example. Uh, so there's so much of this equation. It's very complicated. It's a delicate balance to keep the livestock industry viable at the same time the ethanol industry can function. Congressman, let's move over to this feedlot flyover controversy, still with the EPA. Has that been settled? I wouldn't say it has been settled. Uh, I'm not satisfied with the answers that I've gotten from the EPA, and they've announced they're not doing feedlot flyovers. That's the last information I had. I get information you know, coming from around the country that they are or that they're prepared to, even if they have not been doing so. Uh, and then when I'm asked, oh, what, what kind of legal uh, language would you point to that prohibits the EPA from flying drones over all our farms and our feedlots? And I can't point to a constitution or a legal prohibition, but... It's creepy to have drones flying over your feedlot and checking up on you. There is a bill that's uh, ready to be introduced by Congressman Ted Bowe of Texas who uh, requires that there be a search warrant before a warrant issued before they could fly. Uh, I'm looking at that. I've not yet signed on to it. I think he's going in the right direction, but I'm not sure if that might be a little bit too far. In fact, I'd like to get to the bottom of it before I take a policy position on it. Congressman King, you attempted to put an amendment into the Farm Bill that talked about interstate commerce or the Commerce Clause, that some states are trying to prevent products from other states from coming in or imposing regulations that are different than that under the federal government. I wonder if you could comment on why you felt that it was important to amend this bill to have that in it. Well, Ken, I've watched it as California CARB uh, sought to regulate and keep corn ethanol out of California through their indirect land use plan. And then as a couple of states passed their regulations requiring 
eggs from free-range hens. That was that was California and now Ohio. We've seen states like Florida and Arizona and now Colorado regulate and ban gestation crates driven by the Humane Society of the United States who wants to take meat off of our table. What is the negative commerce outcome of all this? What, the, the negative commerce outcome is this, that states that are regulating the means and method of production of ag products that come into those states are violating the Commerce Clause of our Constitution. And in the end, it's trade protectionism. If they're protecting the layers in California, they're protecting California ethanol, if they're protecting somebody's pork industry by regulating it from other states, they're doing exactly what the Founding Fathers wanted to prohibit when they wrote the Commerce Clause. And in hearing yesterday, I asked the question of a series of witnesses that came in to testify on agriculture, uh, a potato, grain, and, and hog farmer, and I said, when you're, that was about export. When you're exporting any of these ag products to a foreign country, are you required to meet their standards for production? And they each said, no, they just the things that they can inspect at the border, such as potatoes need to be washed, they need to be treated so they didn't sprout. Um, so we don't have foreign trade protectionism regulating our means and method of production. But if we did... We would be up in arms over that because it would be a trade violation. Well, we have trade violations coming from the states. So the amendment that I put on the Farm Bill, passed by voice, we call it the, the, the bill is the PICA Act, the Protect Interstate Commerce Act. It prohibits the states from regulating the means of production of any ag product that's coming into their state. They can regulate it in their state if they so choose, but they cannot regulate outside that state by means of production. That then puts the end to the effort of the patchwork regulations that come from a single state that end up regulating every state and our trade protectionism for the state. It needs to be done from a constitutional perspective, from a trade protection standpoint, and I think from an agricultural standpoint, we don't need the Humane Society of the United States taking meat off of our plates or raising the cost. Congressman, let's uh, turn to your district. It is the northwest quadrant of the state of Iowa. And this year, when you're running, it's up against an opponent, Christy Vilsack, who's the wife of U.S. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. Are you seeing broader political interest in the race than in the past? You know, Ken, if you've asked me a question that was an understatement, that would be it. Uh, Yes. There's broader interest than in the past. It's uh, significantly more intense than it's been in the past. Uh, they will spend between five and ten million dollars against me, and that'll be the most money ever spent in a congressional race in Iowa, uh, aside from perhaps the U.S. Senate race. And, and so, yes, it is intense. The wife of the Secretary of Agriculture, and uh, but what I'm seeing out there is very, very broad and very committed support from agriculture. I can't go to a place, a representative of any of our large ag groups, and see that there's support there in a significant way for my opponent in this campaign. And we've built good relationships throughout the years. I'm in my 10th year in Congress, and actually I, I sit now uh, in a fourth in line in seniority in the Ag Committee. And I think people look at that and they realize that uh, the chairman is Frank Lucas, an uh, outstanding chairman, is term limited. The next in seniority is Bob Whitlatt. He's already been term limited as chairman. And uh, Tim Johnson's next in line, and he's retiring to go home to Illinois, where, where I said is in that position to continue to have significant influence over the committee. 
and uh, they understand that. They understand what kind of a commitment I've made to agriculture in all the areas from grain production uh, to livestock production and renewable fuels, etc. What is it going to take to get our economy growing again? Well, it, it's going to take stability and confidence that we're not growing government or government regulations and low low taxes and predictably low taxes. So uh, when we have a, a two-year extension on the Bush tax brackets, for example, and people know it goes into the political fight, now we have the president uh, calling for what amounts to a tax increase on anyone who makes over 200000 a year and extending the Bush brackets for everything else. This is that's for a political reason, not for an economic reason. So I, I, we need that kind of predictability and stability in Canada. I don't think we're going to get it with this administration. Everybody knows my opinion on that. We need a new administration, and we need a majority in the Senate so we can pass some of that agenda. If we don't get that done, from my perspective, it's going to be a long, hard slog for America. Congressman Steve King, thank you for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Well, thank you very much, Ken. I appreciate being with you. Congressman Steve King, a Republican from Northwest Iowa. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition. I'm Ken Root.